0: i'm nick law and you're listening to the hop forward podcast getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business hop forward is a weekly podcast dedicated to the craft beer industry featuring interviews discussions and stories from the whole brewing supply chain from grain to glass so grab yourself a glass pour yourself a beer and get ready to hop forward in the brewing and beer business Hello and welcome to another sesh on the Hop Forward podcast. For our avid listeners, you will probably be aware that there wasn't an episode last week. I'm trying as much as I can to do one every single week, but you know what? I'm trying to take it easy on myself as well from a mental health point of view, just because I've not been in the best place recently, if I'm honest, and I'll, I'll come on to that. So there wasn't one. I needed a bit of a break. And you know what? I got to go and see me mum-in-law, bless her, um, in rural England for the first time since August last year. So, you know, that was a, a huge blessing and it was just absolutely great to, to go away, lay it all down, drink some good beers, go to the pub with my wife. i not been to the pub with my wife since 2019, possibly. Wow. Crazy times. Anyway, we're back this week and I normally script this and... I kind of felt I wanted to say this genuinely from the heart, let my thoughts kind of just come out where they're at. So it's going to possibly sound a little bit more like we're having a conversation straight into your ears, wherever you are. But one of the other reasons that I enjoy going away so much was it was easier to disconnect from social media because as we're all aware, it's been quite a turbulent time for craft beer at the moment. You know, uh, there's been a lot of talk about sexual harassment and bullying and sexism and then lawsuits regarding defamation and people on Twitter. And and that's just one massive thing that's come out recently. You know, before that, we had the whole, should a brewery like Cloudwater go into a supermarket like Tesco? You know, there's, there's been a lot of heated exchanges online in the world of craft beer and and I I love craft beer and I've, I've loved being a part of the beer industry for a long time, you know, hence why I do this podcast or try to do this podcast (laughs) nearly every single week. I haven't waded in yet too much into some of these debates publicly. um, So much with my thoughts, uh, particularly in regards to the way that women have been treated in the beer industry for years. And partly because I I want to give space to those who need it the most. And partly because I've, I've, just can't find the words because it it it, it's been so shocking and I've I've really personally really felt it and as I sort of alluded to I'm I'm struggling a little bit with that anxiety and depression I'm being quite vulnerable right now in telling you this but you know that's that's something I'm going through and and so part of that I've just not felt up to wading in and because you know you you can say one either wrong thing or something that's taken out of context And you can open up real kind of worms or on the flip side, you can say something that is deeply true and people hate you for it, which is kind of what we're seeing at the moment um, for things being exposed. And I just don't feel up to that right now. But however, um, I do want the Hot 4 podcast to be a space that talks about these things. So I'm hoping to tackle the the topic on some forthcoming episodes with a a range of guests trying to... Organise that at the moment, and I, th- I just want to give the the floor space to um, the people who, who have got a lot more to say about it and a lot more qualified to say things about it than I am. Now, I, I tend to hold back a little bit on social media um, when it comes to debates because I hate arguing on social media. Those kind of heated exchanges in two hundred and forty characters really take their toll on me. I am actually very opinionated but I kind of feel like without the body language without being sat across a table from somebody holding a pint and having that kind of nuanced discussion with somebody where they can see the white of your eyes and hear the tone of your voice it doesn't always come across properly and so I, I actively try and not go on to certain craft beer forums and and post my thoughts about things so, to some things are better left unsaid however I recently got into one spat over a comment that really really irks me. It was surrounding this word craft. Now I know we've tackled this quite a lot on the podcast. Before, and there's a whole episode, which I'll kind of allude to in a, in a second, um, why I talked to beer writer Pete Brown in regards to his book, um, Craft and Argument, uh, why the term craft beer is completely undefinable, hopefully misunderstood and absolutely essential. Somebody had made a comment about Magic Rock Cannonball uh, saying, "Oh, you know, I'll pick this up in whatever supermarket it was, such a great beer. And I agree. I love Cannonball. Okay, um, I, I think it's it's is one of my fa- favorite IPAs. And um, someone had said, oh, but it's not craft, though, is it?" And so I, it, it was like an immediate reaction. <laughs> but I, I basically said, "Oh, have you have you read Pete Brown's book on craft?" And this person said, "No, why?" And then I explained about the premise of the book that actually Pete in his book argues that how can you say one thing is craft and another thing isn't craft. And I even posted a link to my podcast and said, oh, you should check this out. Anyway, this individual really started to dig their heels in and then starts to accuse me of picking a fight with them. And it's like, I'm not, I'm not trying to pick a fight with you. And if you're, if you're that individual, listen to this, like genuinely, like, I'm, I'm sorry if that's how I came across. I really genuinely wasn't trying to pick a fight with you or trying to pick a fight with anyone on, on this subject. It's, it's just that I genuinely believe that this word, like Pete argues in his book, this word craft, what does it mean? And because Pete writes in it, and I think he writes in his other book, Miracle Brew, about the Burton Union system at Marston's Brewery. And so Marston's are the guest on today's show. So you'll hopefully see how this all ties in. But if you read about that system and the way that um, you have to be trained on that system and it's, you know, and and then Master who does the barrels for it as well, you know, like... How can you not call that craft? Like, if you if you don't know what a Burton Union is, go away and look it up. Like, how can you not define that as craft? Something that is so unique and brings such a unique quality to their cast beer. Like, how how can that not be craft? Now, again, this is where I I think social media falls down. And I confess, maybe I haven't put myself across very well on social media. None of us do. You know, like I say, it's it's hard unless you're sat across the table from somebody having an actual conversation, you know, to, to always do it respectfully. And quite frankly, you know, sometimes our worst sides come out online because, you know, you're hidden behind a screen somewhere. But I think these nuanced discussions and debates are really really critical coming back to the sexism issue i was good at that i missed the burham collective common grounds conference although i do believe you can go and watch it on youtube so i'm going to do that um, but one of those debates which often comes up again and again every time a brewery sells up to someone is about big beer versus independence and again you know i do personally favor and champion independent business but i also see that there's a lot of validity in big business and big business can innovate and lead the way possibly in way that small businesses don't some big businesses have much better hr policies and implement them whereas there are i know a lot of small independent businesses that don't and You hear some horror stories about small independent businesses because, you know, it can be quite dysfunctional. So again, I don't think these things are all black and white. It's a complex issue and I'm I'm not as black and white as all that. And that's just who I am. And to be honest with you, like, I owe it to a brewery like Marsden's because actually in my early beer drinking journey, discovering a beer like Pedigree or uh, McEwen's Champion, they were the beers that kind of led on to your micro brewed beers. You know, they were ales. You know, that was that was the first step away from mainstream lager for me. Drinking beers like that. Incidentally, I was uh, sat outside my mother in law's house in their beautiful garden um last week and she bless her, she brought me some beers beers she uh, thought I would like and one of which was a uh, McEwen's Champion which is a Marsden's brewed beer now back in the day whenever the day was I, I thought you know I, that would be a go-to beer for me I, I you know and I still enjoy a, a bottle of it every now and, and again um the, you know the first all-grain beer I brewed at, at like home brew was a clone of this beer and I, I remember I was just in a demijohn you know five liters and that for me was a huge step forward to brew something that I felt was on par in, in my little home brewery kind of way on with that beer. Like, you know, this was the standard of a good beer for me back then. So I kind of feel like I owe it to a brewery like Marsden's. And, and I guess that's why I always just feel a little bit more reticent to just come out and, you know, be black or white. Again, I personally don't think it's as straightforward as all that. And I don't want to be quick to demonise anyone, particularly on social media, about something in the grand scheme of things as trivial as a beer. Like, there are bigger issues in life. So I'm, I'm just going to leave that there. I'm going to part that there. I hope this is going to segue well into this week's episode. So because I was wanting to broaden my palate with the kind of breweries we get on the Hot 4 podcast, I reached out to Carlsberg Marsden's and said, is there anyone who would be willing to come on the Hot 4 podcast to talk about brewing on a a much larger scale than probably a a lot of our listeners brew on? And I was introduced to Emma Jane Gilliland, who is the director of brewing for Carlsberg Marsden's in the UK. She's been brewing for... Decades and the wealth of knowledge that she has, and just in light of women in beer, you know, we've got a role model here and a brewing standard in someone like Emma that far exceeds the misogynistic men out there who would come out and make derogatory comments about women in beer. So, I wanted to chat to Emma about her experiences. Uh, working in the brewing industry all this time and brewery operations on a large scale. And what can a brewing group like Carlsberg Marsons learn from small craft brewers? Similarly, what independent microbreweries could learn from brewery groups such as Carlsberg Marsons? Because actually, I think, as Stephen Covey says in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People... It's not about independence, it's about interdependence. I think actually that's a really good quality where we can learn from one another. I'm sure you've got your position on macro breweries. I have mine, but as I say, it's not black and white. Um, Feel free to write to me if you want, if you disagree. You can just email me at nick at hotford.beer. And let me know what you think about the podcast and if you have any suggestions, any guests you'd like to have on the show or discussions you think that Hot Forward should be having. I'd absolutely genuinely love to hear from you. So before we jump into today's episode with Emma Gilliland from Carlsberg Marston's, it's time for all the necessary blood. If you like the Hot Forward podcast, then follow us on all the socials at Hot Forward Beers. Subscribe to the show and leave us a review on iTunes and Spotify and all the good podcasting platforms. And visit our website hotforward.beer to connect with us and find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business with branding and creative media for breweries, bars, bottle shops and supply chain businesses. For now, grab a beer and let's crack open today's discussion. Today on the Hot Forward Podcast, I'm joined by Emma Gilliland, Director of Brewing for Carlsberg Marston's here in the UK. Hello. Hi, Nick. How are you doing?
1: I'm very good, thank you. Are you?
0: Good. I'm not so bad, thank you. Now, when I was doing my research, like a, a real journalist, I noticed that you graduated from Sheffield Hallam University. I did. Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm from <laughs> Sheffield. So how, how long ago was that? <laughs>
1: Okay, so that was, oh, 1994. So what was that? It'd be 27 years this year. Right. So quite, quite a long time ago.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'd have been 12, I think. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Brill, well, but before before we take a deep dive into uh, brewing operations there, can, I was just wondering if you could give our listeners a bit of a background on yourself and share some of your experiences of working in the beverage industry.
1: Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, I mean, I got into brewing totally by accident. Um, As you referenced just there, I uh, did my degree at Sheffield Hallam University. So I did a degree in biomedical technology, uh, picking the degree because I wanted to um, focus on the medical side and the human side of biochemistry, not the plant side. Um one of our modules was industrial microbiology, uh, which I really enjoyed. And um, as part of a course, we re- were required to do a placement year. Um, and I actually ended up doing my placement year at uh, Marston Thompson and Evershed, independent right. family brewer in Burton-on-Trent. <laughs> um, so I spent three months in the lab and, and uh, nine months um, as a trainee brewer. And when I graduated in '94, the head brewer invited me back to uh, train as a brewer, and I was incredibly lucky to uh, walk straight into a full-time job, and um, you know, walk into the opportunity of uh, training to be a proper professional brewer. So uh, that's how I got into brewing. Um, and as you're well aware, you know, over the last sort of 25 years, the industry has changed uh, immensely. Mm. Um, and sort of like with that, um, there, there were a lot of changes at Marston's. Uh, so we got taken over by Wolverhampton Dudley Breweries in 2001, from memory. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, Wolverhampton Dudley Brewery bought um, several other breweries over the years. So my role kept on changing. Yep. So... I was incredibly lucky that I didn't have to uh, move companies uh, to get different experiences Mm. and promotion and develop my career Um, as the company was changing all the time. I got a lot of career development and promotions and experience um, from within the company, Uh, you know, up until the latest change, which happened um, late last year when um, Marston's brewing company form, formed a joint venture with Carlsberg so yeah the last sort of 27 years has been quite a quite a journey really and you know working working in a range of different breweries but all for one company.
0: <laughs> yep so today I wanted to take a closer look at uh, brewery operations on a large scale and until yep. now um, this podcast is mostly focused on the micro brewing sector of the beer industry but I'd, yep. I'd love to also start to explore how larger global companies and brands operate and I I think one of the things you tend to hear, particularly from craft beer consumers and some microbrewers, is is kind of like big brewing equals bland, but small brewing equals good, you know. And it's it, it's not quite as uh, as black and white as that. So uh, taste preferences aside, and uh, nobody can argue that brands such as Marston's or you know Carlsberg Pilsner or Hobgoblin or or whatever are, are ever inconsistent or technically flawed or suffer oxidation or the other myriad of problems that many small breweries contend with and you read about so even when you come up against that pushback and I'm just pushing from the word go what's your response what would you say to somebody who holds that opinion with the 27 years of experience that you've got working for uh, Marston's and the breweries you've been involved with
1: yeah I mean I think that's quite a It's quite a sweeping statement, isn't it? Mm. Um, big big breweries produce bland beer. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Marston's, where I have all of my experience really, is probably a medium to big size brewery compared to some of the micros, I guess, that you're talking to. Um, you know, I defy anybody that says Hobgoblin IPA, Hobgoblin Gold, uh, Hobgoblin Ruby, Marston's Pedigree, Horning Glow Street range that we've done are bland. Um, you know, they're far from bland. Um, you, you know, we are still using, you know, we use loads of different types of ingredients, um, loads of different hops to come up with really creative hop grists. Um, completely different malt risks. We experiment with different yeasts. Um, I think we, you know, especially with our regional breweries, we have different types of water in in the different parts of the country that we operate. So, you know, I think we're really lucky that we can produce a whole range of beers. Mm. Um, And, you know, also, you know, we like all brewers we have a lot of bespoke yeasts as well that are sort of particularly related to our brands which produce different complexity of flavors so um yeah i would argue that uh, our beers aren't bland at all
0: mm. but wh- wh- why do you think there's that misconception then about um you know of oh, these regional breweries they're just they're, they're bad for um, variety and for the industry you know, I mean, it does seem like there's a real pushback from, um, particularly when it. I mean, I know it obviously doesn't affect you, but um, with an issue like SBR, small breweries relief. Um, you know, there's a lot of pushback about larger breweries and and you know just trying to take over. And then obviously global um, brands get brought into that as like, well, they're just trying to retain tap lines and all the rest of it, and and you know, and there's very much a David and Goliath kind of attitude. But, um, you know, it, that overlooks some of the things that some with some smaller craft breweries. You know, you hear about working conditions and you just think, well, there's no HR policy in place. You know, whereas a, a big company like yours, I imagine the HR is really good because, you know, big companies are set up that way. And it's, again, it's, it's a lot more nuanced than that. And I guess I'd just be interested, um, you know, just from your perspective, um, do, do you come up against that? Often, when you talk to other people in different parts of the industry, or I mean, what- um,
1: to be honest, I don't. I think because, um, you know, having been part of Marston's uh, beer company for so long, which is now Carlsberg Marston's Brewing Company, mm. you know, I'm responsible for seven different breweries. And, you know, in terms of scale, Those um, range from our smallest one, which is London Fields, which is a which is a microbrewery to our largest ones, Banks's and Marston's breweries. Um, So, you know, we produce a whole range of different beers um, and and completely different beer styles as well. So I don't in my experience, in my working experience, I haven't come up against the um, the BSU in Your Company a very, very bland, um, you know, in fact, sort of like quite the opposite. Um, I guess I guess um, some of those comments will come from people sort of talking about scale. Yep. Um, if you're a, a larger scale brewery and, you know, your brands have got a presence in a lot more places, then I guess, you know, <laughs> people sort of argue, oh, you're, you you know, you go to these pubs and you always see these brands. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean... <laughs> That's a di- it's a difficult one to answer, really. Yeah, cause... I mean,
0: there's, a, there's no there's no easy answer to that. It's just, um, y- y- you know, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that, um, you know, f- from the the people I have met that work for larger breweries, you know, there's, there's so much knowledge there and there's a lot of innovation. I mean, particularly when it comes to things like climate change and, and making sure that, um, you know, the breweries are as efficient and eco-friendly as possible. You know, th- those kind of programmes... Are, are readily more available in larger breweries because um, they've a, got yes, the clout and money behind absolutely. them. Um, but, you know, it's it's again, this is why I'm always up for having a more nuanced conversation than, and, than it just being very polarised, which is what you tend to find online these days. Yeah. Um, you know, because actually, you know, um, the, the knowledge that's available, you know, and the expertise from someone like yourself is, is dwarfs so many of the... Um, you know, independent brewers that have literally had to teach themselves from just doing it, you know, with a homebrew bucket?
1: Yeah. I mean, so so one of the things I will say, I mean, working for a larger brewing company, um, you have a lot more um, access to a lot more expertise and... Um, And you probably have a lot of experts working in the business as well. So, um, for example, moving into Carlsberg Marston's brewing company, you know, one of the things I'm really excited about and one of the benefits is, you know, suddenly we've got access to all these global experts. Mm. Um, Now, you know, I appreciate your sort of like really small scale uh, microbrewery that sort of, you know, set up from a home brewing business probably won't have access to that sort of level of expertise that we, that we are fortunate to have. Um, you know, one thing I will say, you know, certainly our brewery in Burton-on-Trent, Marston's Brewery, um, you know, one of the initiatives we worked on for a couple of years, and unfortunately it slowed down because of the pandemic, mm. uh, but we actually hosted a home brewing club. Um, so we would invite home brewers in I think uh, you know we were getting up to 30 once a month home brewers coming in and it was really sort of like a bit of a forum where sort of like you know people that shared a passion for brewing beer all got together irrespective of the scale and these were people sort of bringing the kitchens or brewing in their garages or even sort of scaling up a little bit more and you know we would sit down as a group it was led by the head brewer at uh, Marston's um, talk about brewing experiences, sharing ideas, sharing recipes, um, you know, talking about problems and helping each other. So I think um, there's a lot more help out there, I think, for the um, smaller guys. Mm. And I know I know the suppliers that uh, supply a lot of these, you know, like the hot merchants and the malt merchants, you know, they actually employ ex-brewers who... Um, you know, work quite proactively with some of these smaller microbreweries to support them and help them. So I think there is a lot out there, but, there's, you know, there's no doubt it is a lot tougher for the um, smaller micros yes. um, yeah. that are starting up.
0: So just moving on then a little bit, um, talk to me about the the process of brewing on a large scale. So first off, can you put in context some of the volume that you brew on a a brand like Marston's Pedigree, for example? I mean, I've I've driven by uh, the the brewery um, in Burton-on-Trent and I was pretty amazed by the size of the f- fermenters. Um, you can see as you're driving down whatever a road it was. Um, yeah. But um, like, how does that translate into hectoliters and pints? Just, just maybe on that one particular brand, like, or maybe on Hobgoblin Goblin as well, or something, just to put it in context.
1: Oh, okay, so if we um, yeah, I mean, if we talk about pedigree or Hobgoblin, um, so let's talk about Hobgob- uh, Hobgoblin because that's one of our biggest brands at the moment. So Hobgoblin's made up of Hobgoblin Gold, Hobgoblin Ruby, and Hobgoblin IPA. So typically, for sort of Ruby, we'd be brewing about a thousand barrels a week. Right. Um, Are you okay in barrels? Yeah, but no
0: barrels is good for me.
1: (laughs) Great, great. Um, Yeah, yeah, between 1,000 and 1,200 barrels a week at the moment. I mean, bearing in mind the on-trade's closed, Mm. so we have seen our off-trade pick up. Um, Yeah, so, you know, that's probably, you know, you're looking in the region of about 400,000 pints a week of Hobgoblin Ruby, slightly less for gold. Gold, we're probably about 320,000 pints a week. And Hobgoblin IPA, which was launched um, about 18 months ago, is probably about 250,000 pints a week.
0: Right.
1: So um, considerable volumes, considerable (laughs) volumes. Um, In terms of the brewing process, you know, the brewing process at, at Marston's or Witchwood um, won't be any different to the brewing process at your smaller microbrewery. brewery. Mm. Um, you know, all of our breweries still use um, all of our brew breweries with the with the exception of Eagle Brewery in Bedford because that's our only lager brewing uh, brewery. But all of our ale breweries, uh, you know, we sort of uh, we use mash tons. So, obviously, we're mashing in, in, into the mash tuns, uh, run off into the work boilers, um, boil the wort, transfer to um, your whirlpools, um, chill your beer down through the paraflows and, um, you know, pitch into fermenter. Um, you know, our, our fermenter sizes um, at Burton-on-Trent range between 200 and 400 barrels. Um, size each um, at Witchwood. Uh, um, our fermenter sizes range from um, 50 to 100 to 150 barrels. So we do operate at various levels of scale.
0: Mm.
1: But um, brewing process, again, you know, the the brewing process is overseen by the brewers. Um, so uh, the shift brewer will... Um, mash in and then the operators will run the brew off add all the hops uh do all the whirlpooling and the uh power flowing um it's it's relatively automated so uh you know we have a scada control system that um the guys use to uh control the brew Hmm. but um Our breweries aren't a bank of computers with one guy sitting behind them, not coming out of a control room. Our breweries aren't like that at all. You know, our guys are very much involved in the, you know, with the plant and um, the operation and the process as it it goes through the plant. Um, So, for example, when we, uh, once we've called the wort and we're starting to collect into fermenters, um, you know the uh, the brewers there. He's checked the yeast. He's pitching the yeast into the tank. You know he's he's monitoring all of that. Yep. It isn't it isn't somebody sitting behind uh, a screen just pushing buttons. You know our breweries they're breweries. They're not factories. Right. And we're brewing beer. We're not dealing with liquids. Mm. You know. So. <laughs> um.
0: So I know when. Um Again, I, I've I've never had the privilege of looking around at a brewery of that size, but um, y- you do hear some of these sort of really large breweries where literally where it is push button. Um, so I mean, how m- how many people are on a brew team there? Like, um, uh, you know, well, that is the question. Yeah, how how many people are on a brew team there? How many people operate uh, a, okay. a particular brew? Or so, uh,
1: if we look at Witchwood, um. If we look at Witchwood, there's uh, five on the brewing team there. Mm -hmm. So, Witchwood Brew, they brew, they ferment, and everything's loaded into tanker then packaging. So, there's no tankering that happens on that site. And they brew about 50,000 barrels a year. Mm. Um, Marston's Brewery in Burton-on-Trent. In the brew house, um, there's usually two on a shift in the brew house. So, So, you'll have um you know this uh the uh, the first operator comes in at uh, six o'clock he'll uh make sure uh all the mash tons are heated up uh ready for the brewer to start mashing in um so you so you've got the first operator the brewer you have a guy that sort of comes in sort of like the middle of the shift he will um make sure the power flows are set up ready to run he starts helping with the um uh, the runoff and the um pop additions looks at grinding the malt for the following brew. Uh, And then you have a guy in the afternoon. So Marston says three that operate the brew house over 16 hours. And then you have the guys that um, look after the fermentation side. Now, I guess we we're a bit odd at Marston's because we have more people in our fermentations because we have the Burton Union system of fermentation.
0: Yes, I was going to ask uh, about
1: that, which is pretty labour intensive. So, um, all in all, the brewing and fermenting team across two shifts is uh, fourteen people plus plus the brewers. So, um, yeah, they're. There are quite a few people around.
0: Mm. So for anyone that's unfamiliar with the Burton Union System, um, because we, we do get listeners from all over the world, can you just give us a, a brief overview as to what that is and how it works?
1: Okay. So um, the Burton Union System fermentation is is uh, is unique to Marston's, actually. Uh, in fact, um, one brewery in California have set up uh, Firestone Walker. Um, they've been to brew with us in the past and they've sort of like set up a little mini Burton Union system. Um, so essentially it's, it, it, it is a way of separating the yeast from the beer, actually. Um, so we have a series of oak casks um, and the beer ferments in the oak casks and coming out of the top of the cask is a, a stainless steel sort of pipe called a swan neck that drops into a top trough so as the beer ferments in the oak cask mm. um, and starts forming a foamy head, the yeast head is pushed up through the swan neck into the top trough, into the top trough, and the yeast settles out in the top trough. Right. There's the beer, so so you get a really nice bubbling of the yeast and the bits of bits of the fermenting work transfer into the top trough. that flows back down into the. Um, into the barrels and you know the process sort of um, uh, continues until all the yeast separates out into the top trough and then we gather the yeast off to save that for the next fermentation and you've got relatively sort of like yeast-free beer uh, contained within the oak barrels so there's um, a typical union set Um, the oak barrels hold about four and a half gallons each, and there would be um, a series of sort of 20, 10 on each side. Right. So uh, typically, one Burton Union set, as we call them, would ferment about 100 barrels of of, of beer. Uh, And it must be noted, we only use these for pedigree. Right. Um, So all of our, our, our draft pedigree for cask, is fermented in the Burton Union system and we save all of the yeast and it's only yeast from the Burton Union systems that is used to ferment Marston's branded beers.
0: Right. I've, I don't know if you've read um, the beer writer Pete Brown's book on craft. Um, he sort of argues why that term is completely Indefinable, and um, <laughs> and and he, he talks about the Burton Union system in there, saying how 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 can people argue that a brewery like Marsden's isn't craft when you've got this incredible well, system?
1: I, <laughs> absolutely, I mean you know, I mean you can open up the whole question of what is craft. Mm. I mean, craft is, I think, for me, craft is using skill and expertise um, to create amazing beers. And do you know you don't get more original craft than the Burton Union Systems? You know, you couldn't, you couldn't run those Burton Union systems from a computer screen. Hmm. You couldn't recruit a guy in who doesn't know anything about Brewing, give him two weeks training, and he would know how to operate them. There's a lot of skill, knowledge, and judgment with using the Burton Union systems, and you only get that with time and experience. Yep. Um, so, you know, to me, that is an example of true craft. And And we have a um, we have a Cooper who uh, looks after the Burton Union systems for us. So he will look after the barrels to make sure they're kept in the optimum condition and, all of the work he does maintaining those barrels you know he doesn't have a load of automated kit to um scrape all the barrel you know a lot of what he does is you know it's he's he's trained as in the cooper he's gone through an apprenticeship and a lot of what he does is by eye you know he, he, he judges what he needs to do by you know he, he knows the unions he knows how much he needs to take off them um That's craft to me, you know, that's real craft. People that have learned to trade, you know, and and learned the skills Mm. to produce the best possible product that they can.
0: Yeah. I could go on about that for ages, but I won't because I know we're fairly <laughs> short on time. So, um, and I've got a whole load of questions I'm missing I'm to ask. So, um, I mean, you're I, more than
1: welcome to come to the brewery and have a look. I would
0: absolutely love to. Absolutely, I will definitely take you up on that. Um, I, I know that breweries um, like Carlsberg, you know, and I would imagine. Marsons and Witchwood and all that the major brands have have really tight specifications when it comes to raw materials. And obviously with yeah. the changes in weather and, and particularly climate change um, over the last decade or so affecting the quality of barley and hop crops. I mean, how, how do you manage... The intake of these materials to ensure that you're meeting your specific- specifications and your targets. And what are some of the ways you keep your products consistent all year round? Because as I alluded to earlier, um, for anyone out there that that would argue, oh, it's just you know, it's bland, um, you know, flavourless beer and all the rest of whatever other hashtags people use on things like Instagram, um, they're consistent. You know, any anybody that goes and buys a particular bottle of X, Y, and Z off the shelf from a brewery such as Marsden's, for example, is going to get a consistent product. And I I would love to know on a brewery in your scale and size, how you keep that product so consistent so that when the consumer reaches out for it from the shelf or at the bar, they know they're going to get the same in their glass.
1: Okay. Well, um, you know, as you said, we have got very sort of tight... um, specifications every product that we brew will have a specification it will have a specification for raw materials for all of the process control going through the entire process and for the beer at every stage so you know first of all it's sort of like making sure we adhere to those specifications by you know um brewing correctly as possible we work very closely with our suppliers um so you know For example, when we set a malt specification, we wouldn't just issue a specification to the supplier and say, look, you know, there you go, that's what you've got to provide us. We'll sit down with that sort of like malt supplier and we'll agree a specification that's achievable. Mm. Um, So, you know, it's very much about working in partnership with our suppliers, um, because obviously if you issue them a spec that isn't achievable, you're going to be out of specification all the time. So, you know, it's... It's important for them to understand the parameters that are that are important to us, and working together and, and listening to their expertise as well about how we achieve that and have we quite got the specification right. So that's the first thing, and you know the second thing on the suppliers as well. You know, in in terms of being able to get a consistent product it's about having consistent suppliers as well so you know particularly on malt you know we would um enter into a long-term supply agreement as well and i think it is you know sometimes you do have to be a bit flexible you know for example if it's been you know if if it's been um a harvest where the nitrogen's, you know, a bit higher than you would like, mm. um, you know, we will talk to the, well, I mean, I specifically talk to the uh, malt suppliers all through harvest, um, so they're telling you about, you know, this is what we're sampling at the moment, this is how the nitrogens are coming in, um, you know, do you want to buy this now or, you know, we advise that you buy this now or we advise you hang on. So it's it's having that really close working relationship with your suppliers um, so you can understand what's coming through. So, I mean, that, that really helps us. But like you say, at the end of the day, you know, you deal with the um, you deal with the raw material that's there. So mm-hmm. um, you know, again, when a new uh, when it's a new crop year, uh, we will always have a couple of cider loads that come in early before we move from one crop season to another crop season. We will always have a couple of um, loads in so so that we can just do some trial brewing because then we can see you know, are there any uh, parameters in the process that we might need to alter a little bit so that um, we make sure we've got the consistency coming through. So it's almost sort of like doing your homework early uh, to make sure when you do switch on to the new season's bolt, you've got your process settled down. The other thing we'll do as well is we'll tend to, um, you know, we won't switch from, say, 2019 crop to 2020 crop from one day to the next we'll tend to blend them in as right. well um so you, you know there's 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 various sort of actions that we can take um to is make that
0: sure so that because is, is that so if a, a consumer who regularly drinks something like Marsden's pedigree um you know they they and they, they, that they, that's their bottle of tipple and they're buying it every you know Every week. Is that yep. so they don't you know it's that whole analogy of like if you put a frog in boiling water, it jumps out. But if you put it in cold water and turn it up, not that yeah. I've ever tried to do this, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it doesn't notice the change. Is, is that the idea that over gradually over time people won't notice? Whereas if it was like bam bam, then people would?
1: I don't think it's gradually over time they won't notice. It's just um I mean, you know, we don't want to change the flavour of our product mm. at all. Uh, but if there are sort of like little you know little bits of you know variants from one season to the other it's 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 gradually um blending it in
0: right to
1: be so- fair but uh, but i mean to be fair you know when when you've sort of been in charge of a band a brand like pedigree for uh, twenty years and um you know uh it's a very sort of local well-known drink and you know you go and talk to that was drinking it 30 years ago whether it be Pedigree Bass or Timothy Taylor or whatever you're mm. always going to get somebody that says oh it didn't taste like that 30
0: years ago <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely
1: yeah. so our consumers you know I mean I mean they certainly keep us on our toes and it's obviously our job to make sure that that product comes through as, consistently as possible.
0: Yeah. Well, just to round off, because um, I, I massively appreciate your time today, um, I, I would love to know what, what do you, two questions, I guess. What do you think independent microbreweries could learn from a brewery such as Marston's and breweries of your size? And what do you think uh, brewery groups such as Carlsberg Marston's could learn from smaller independent brewers? <sighs>
1: Okay, what do I think? Do you know what? I think um, I think the quality of the beer coming out of some of these microbreweries is absolutely outstanding. Yeah. I think the quality over the years has improved considerably. Uh, and, you know, I take my hat off to the guys because, I, th- I, you know, I think they're doing an amazing job. And one of the things they're really good at is keeping us bigger brewers on our toes as well. Um I guess, you know, uh, um, anything they want to learn from us, you you know, we're all in it for the same reason. And, you know, the brewing industry is a very sort of friendly industry and we just need to talk to each other. Um, And where we can support each other, I think we should. Um, But, you know, I mean, certainly my view of, I mean, I'll always, you know, when I go into a pub, I I always want to try local beers as well as, you, you know, the big brands. So, I'm always trying them and I guess my view is, you know, keep your plant really clean, Um, you know, keep it free from infection because, you know, that is really going to help your beer Um, and continue to innovate because I think that's what um, I think that's where the microbreweries have kept the bigger the, uh, the bigger players on their toes mm. is on the innovation side and how quickly they can bring new products to market. Um, in some of the bigger breweries, obviously, there's a lot more loopholes that you need to sort of jump through to uh, get new products listed. And, you know, sometimes it, it, the process is so long, by the time you've got to sign off, everyone else has already done it. So, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, us bigger brewers need to learn to be a lot more agile. Mm. Uh, because I think, you know, the ideas are there. Uh, sometimes, you know, the agility isn't.
0: Yeah. Well, Brill, well, thanks for being on the show today. Um, if any brewers that are listening to this that might want to connect with you, how can they do that?
1: Um, I'm on LinkedIn. So if they want to look me up on LinkedIn, then um yeah, you know, I've got any questions, I'm you know, I'm 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 more than happy to have catch up.
0: Amazing, Brill, and uh, I will definitely take you up on a trip to Burton-on-Trent as soon as uh, restrictions are eased and all that sort of stuff. allowed, yeah. But, yeah. Doing, yes. <laughs> Can I get kind of uh, little bit of that? Well, it's that time again at the bar for another week of the Hot 4 Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. We make your beer look as good as it tastes and we help you brew up a better business through branding, marketing and consultancy. Remember to follow us on social media at HotForwardBeers, Beers and for another week. Cheers.